healthcare providers like doulas. Infant health and maternal death rates have hit the highest level in decades. The summer's coming to an end. Your kids are the only ones not ready to go back. Some school districts aren't ready either. They're dealing with a teacher shortage. In order to get around that, nearly 900 school districts across the country are transitioning to a four-day week schedule. So school days are longer, but students are not losing any class time. I'm Nicole Verla. I thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to watch tonight as News Nation holds the first presidential town hall with Republican candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Leland Vitter will host live from Chicago. First, the biggest headlines out of our nation's capital. It is 11 o'clock in the morning in Maui, Hawaii, where in the coastal town of Lahaina, they continue to search for the missing. 96 people dead, hundreds still unaccounted for in what has become the most devastating wildfire in the U.S. in over a century. You're looking at a rainy live shot of the White House today where the administration outlined how the federal government will continue to respond after President Biden over the weekend said all of two words. No comment. We'll ask the Pentagon what comes next. Plus a flash mob of dozens ransacks a Nordstrom's in Los Angeles and up the coast why state workers are being told not to show up at the building named after Nancy Pelosi. So what is going on in California? And it's the moment from Iowa over the weekend that went viral. Lose yourself in the music, the moment's wrong. That was a song. How Vivek Ramaswamy is trying to connect with voters in the Hawkeye State. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. No singing from us, just talking a little bit of political analysis. Hello, thank you for being here on The Hill once again on News Nation. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Alex Gangitano. White House correspondent for The Hill, my buddy over at the White House, Michael Starr Hopkins, Democratic strategist and contributor to The Daily Beast, Denise Gitsum, Republican strategist and former aide to George W. Bush, and Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. Hello to you all. We've got all those headlines and like, oh, by the way, Donald Trump, by the way. By the way, Donald Trump. And this also comes just uh, over a week before the presidential debate, the first GOP yeah. primary debate. We don't know whether Trump's going to show or not. But once again, like the past three indictments, he's stealing the oxygen. Yep. All right. Lots to talk about. And we begin there as the former president, Donald Trump, could soon be facing yet another indictment. A grand jury in Fulton County, Georgia, is now hearing from several witnesses as it investigates the former president's efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election in that state. The county's court website briefly today, we were all like, what's going on here? They briefly posted a document appearing to list several criminal charges against the former president. Then they took it down without explanation. Robert Sherman is on the ground outside the courthouse in Atlanta. Robert, today we were like, oh, we got some news. And then, no, wait, uh, never mind, at least not today, or at least not at this moment. What happened there? Yeah. Yeah, most certainly put us all on guard here, Blake. As you can imagine, there's a lot of anticipation on the ground here in Georgia with media outlets converging on that Fulton County courthouse behind us. And while the district attorney's office has not formally said how this is going to go, it certainly seemed as though for a time this afternoon that we were going to see charges filed. That's because, as Reuters reports, it appears as though that a document was posted uh, by the Fulton County court system briefly online, which appeared to list 
all the potential charges that the former president might face. That document was quickly removed from the website. But a screenshot of that document appears to list out all of those potential charges, chief among them racketeering listed at the top. The Fulton County Clerk's Office did put out a statement which reads, quote, the office of the Fulton County Clerk of Superior and Magistrate Courts has learned of a fictitious document that has been circulated online and reported by various media outlets related to the Fulton County Special Purpose Grand Jury. While there have been no documents filed today regarding such, all members of the media should be reminded that documents that do not bear an official case number, filing date, and the name of the clerk of the courts in concert are not considered official filings and should not be treated as such. So you see the back and forth there, and that's what has put this whole situation to a bit of a stir today. So all this is happening behind closed doors. We don't really know the timeline of how this is going to happen, Blake, but we will be here and we will keep you updated. Blake? Robert Sherman, all across the country today and probably tomorrow, many days after that in Atlanta. Robert, uh, thank you so much. Let's also bring in uh, News Nation political editor Chris Steyerwalt, who is... Back in our headquarters, I think you're in Chicago, right? We got the Vivek Ramaswamy Town Hall uh, later today. Chris joining us now, News Nation political editor. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Um, we got big, the latest... big doings out here in Chicago. I know, I know. They put you on a plane, flew you up. I'm sure put you in a nice hotel and everything for Vivek Ramaswamy tonight. Uh, what do you make of, of what we're expecting here with Donald Trump? Uh, potentially a fourth indictment in the upcoming days, potentially. And, and what is the significance of that? Well, you can tell just from the security measures that they've talked about in Atlanta, uh, this is uh, a, a something different than what we've seen so far. This is a Democratic city, yes, but it's a Republican state. Uh, Donald Trump has lots of support in Georgia, across Georgia. It was a very narrowly contested state in 2020. Uh, the president, former president, lost only narrowly. Uh, and there's a lot of ill will out there uh, from the president uh, and the exhortations to his supporters. There's a lot of anxiety uh, across the political spectrum about what it means, because this isn't a uh, this isn't the United States Department of Justice. These aren't uh, hardened federal facilities. This is uh, brings us into a new space and one in which we hope that all Americans can proceed with caution uh, and restraint. Uh, to let the process play out. Around the table we go real quick. Chris, stand by. Uh, Alex, fourth indictment potentially here in the upcoming days. Yeah, and we saw uh, Donald Trump this morning with an influx of posts on his social media, yeah. you know, targeting the investigators um, and witnesses, saying that this is phony, coming from the district attorney, and that he didn't tamper with, um, with any election. So he's clearly on edge and ready for this to come. And I don't think his supporters will lose uh, any sleep over this. You know, they, they love him no matter what. And so, um, if anything, this will just energize them even more. Did the DA tip her hand today? Like... It, <laughs> There were four charges that were posted on the website, and then it was like, whoops, false start. Yeah, I mean, I think from my background as a public defender, when you upload uh, new charges, you can either add the charge or you can add the charge and make it public. I'm <laughs> oh, guessing, really? I'm guessing that what happened was when they added a charge, which would be witness tampering for the Jeff Duncan tweet this morning by Trump, that it then uploaded the document itself. Someone Either, hit the wrong button. I, I think that's <laughs> what's going to end up finding out what happened. I think this is the charge that really scares the Trump administration, though. Hmm. What I've noticed is that there's been an uptick in Republican support every time anything like this comes against Trump, as you were saying, Alex. And 
that's not just it's not decreasing with each indictment. It's actually increasing the support and and the commitment to finding out what the truth is. And so I think that every indictment that adds fuel to the fire is something that ultimately undercuts any trust we have in the governmental institutions to bring about justice in a way that's fair and even handed. So we talk about this being potentially being the worst for the, you know, the Trump team. Um, my question is, we've heard a lot of reporting about the money that's being spent by the Trump team to afford this legal um, help to get through all of this. And I'm curious to see if this is really the nail in the coffin. Hey, Chris, before I move on uh, real quick, the Donald Trump has been taking a truth social posting up a storm here, really going after the D.A. there. Uh, what's the strategy briefly for Donald Trump? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, we don't know yet if there really are criminal charges. We don't know what's in them. But, you know, Donald Trump did try to interfere with the outcome of the election in Georgia. He did try to pressure and strong arm elections officials there. We know the struggle that Brian Kemp had uh, with Donald Trump. Donald Trump tried to pay him back with a, a primary defeat in his reelection bid. And Kemp stood his ground and won. We know Brad Raffensperger's story. We've heard it all. And we know what right. Trump tried to do. Uh, that This was the, the place where he tried to, of all the places that Trump really tried to steal a second term, this was the spot. And that's going to make tempers run hotter because Republicans know they're cutting pretty close to the bone here. All right. So that's the state of Georgia. Meantime, over in Iowa, the state fair there is still underway. And on the Republican primary, the actual race side of things, uh, Republican presidential hopefuls are busy jockeying to win over voters in the Hawkeye state. The Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds, set to resume fair side chats, as they're known, tomorrow, beginning with Asa Hutchinson in the morning, followed by Ryan Brinkley and then Tim Scott. She'll be chatting with Perry Johnson and Will Hurd as well. Meantime, Iowa voters are sharing... Uh, what's driving them to the polls and camping out there for the last handful of days or so is Kelly Meyer. She has uh, live in Des Moines for us once again. Kelly, uh, what's going on there in Iowa? <laughs> Hey there, Blake. Well, the verdict in Iowa and here at the Iowa State Fairgrounds is very much still out. We talk a lot about how authentic Iowa voters are, how they're thoughtful and they're taking their time to hear what each candidate has to say. And much of what we heard from the voters we spoke to is that they are undecided and they are still feeling out what candidates they like. And they have some time with more than five months until the Iowa caucuses. But this weekend historically brings out those presidential candidates. We saw former President Donald Trump stop by this weekend, making his appearance, uh, just spending two hours here on the ground, but bringing out the crowds. But one thing that some voters noted was that although they may like Trump, they don't like how he may be attacking other conservative candidates. Take a listen. I will say I don't like Trump. I'm a big Trump fan, but I don't like him when he puts down DeSantos or anybody else. I think he should just be, here's what I'm doing, and then we go from there. Uh, that's, uh, that's all about it, you know. We can't put down conservatives that are going to run this country. I mean, that's it. So I think that's one thing Trump has to change. And Trump still has a lot of support here in the state. There's a house back here that's covered in Trump signs. Uh, but a lot of what we heard was similar to that voters message is that they really all have to come together and people want to see less divisiveness in the country. And that's from both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats out here today. Blake. All right, Kelly Meyer live for us uh, on the ground in Iowa. Kelly, thank you. I want to get into what Kelly uh, is talking about, but just in right now from Donald Trump's defense attorneys, quote, 
The Fulton County District Attorney's Office has once again shown that they have no respect for the integrity of the grand jury. This was not a simple administrative mistake. A proposed indictment should only be in the hands of the District Attorney's Office, yet it somehow made its way to the clerk's office and was assigned a case number and a judge before the grand jury even deliberated. This is emblematic of the uh, pervasive and glaring constitutional violations which have plagued this case from its very inception. Statement from Donald Trump's attorneys. Um, I think what just happened here in the last minute is kind of the problem for everybody that was in Iowa today. It was, oh, let's go to the Iowa State Fair. Wait, Donald Trump, something happened, right? And that's sort of what's the, the challenge that they face, is it not, Denise? Trump sucks the air out of every room he's in, whether he's in a room or he's at the fair. I mean, he drops in for two hours or three hours and everyone goes to see him. I mean, he's everywhere. And the more people, he's, the more we fuel this fire, the bigger it burns. And I think every little bit of publicity keeps the spotlight on him and makes him a hero for people who may not understand all the legal underpinnings of what's actually happening, but they see him as a champion, as almost um, an alter ego to themselves about what can happen when we have a two-tiered justice system that treats a certain set of people differently from others. Julia, uh, Alex, your colleague over at the Hill, Alexander Bolton, had this headline coming out of the weekend, quote, GOPC's turnout disaster without Trump, an article in The Hill. You believe it? <laughs> I believe it. I believe it, um, particularly, you know, for someone like Donald Trump, who has proven to, you know, rev up the GOP primary base. That's very important. And if it's Trump, I think the big question is, will he be able to appeal to these independent voters? But I think the Republicans see it as the base is more important at this point. And how much turnout can he also bring to these down ballot, even in the Senate races? I mean, if someone's coming out because they absolutely love Donald Trump in a state like Montana, they're going to probably vote for the Republican who's challenging John Tester. And that's bad news for Democrats. Even if Trump doesn't win, that's, you know, the Senate map. He's a turnout machine for Democrats, Mm -hmm. too, though. That's the problem. That's the point. Chris, Chris, I was looking at the last uh, four polls, national polls for Donald Trump. 59, 58, 53, 57, 12 of the last 13 between 52 and 59. Signed, sealed, and delivered, especially after what we saw coming out of Iowa, or or, or we can't go there just yet? Oh, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, what you (laughs) have seen in Iowa, what you have seen in Iowa uh, is why I think both Trump and DeSantis are unlikely to win in Iowa right now. Uh, when you have that kind of acrimony, Kim Reynolds is a very popular governor, uh, and she and her uh, running buddy, uh, uh, Joni Ernst, Senator Joni Ernst, <laughs> have huge favorable numbers in Iowa. You come out to the fair, you're heckling Ron DeSantis, you're really heckling Kim Reynolds. When you're nasty and mean in Iowa, and I don't know whether you saw Kim Reynolds' response to the hecklers, she said, this is Iowa, we're Iowa nice. She's not lying. That's true. And uh I this this represents the problem for them. And by the way, as it comes to turnout problems with Trump, uh, yep. And turnout problems without Trump. Yep. The Republican Party (laughs) these days resembles nothing more so than a suicide pact. Uh, There are Mm -hmm. enough Republicans who hate Trump and enough Trump Republicans who hate every other Republican to all but guarantee the Democrats will win in a general election. If Republicans are not prepared to get over themselves and this insane hatred that they have nurtured for each other, that is exactly how you lose general elections. All right. Well, one GOP candidate gaining ground in the polls, somewhat moving up at least, is Vivek Ramaswamy. Since announcing his candidacy back in February, Ramaswamy now sits in third among the big field here of candidates. 
according to the Real Clear Politics polling average. But there's a margin of approximately 48% between the 37-year-old tech billionaire and the former president. Uh, Donald Trump's polling average just sits above 54%. I just rattled off some of the numbers. Now, while, while Ramaswamy is polling at just 6%, um, the rise of Vivek Ramaswamy. We're going to hear from him tonight on News Nation Town Hall with my buddy Leland Vittert. Uh, I mean, look, it's pretty impressive, right? Never run for federal office, and he's ahead of a former vice president, several sitting and, and former senators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me a lot of the Andrew Yang dynamic mm -hmm. from 2020. He kind of is bringing in some new voters. He has a very kind of hipster vibe to him. We saw him rap in Iowa. He's doing all the things to create this kind of mood to it. But at the end, I think Republicans are going to go candidate by candidate. I think he's going to get his shot. Tim Scott's going to get a shot because everyone's trying to figure out who the alternative to Donald Trump's going to be. But there is no alternative. You talk about the mood. There was a mood in Iowa with Vivek Ramaswamy <laughs> over the weekend. He also made an effort to show off his personal side uh, at Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds' fair side chats. Listen here as Ramaswamy took the mic and uh, did a little lemon in. Watch. I don't know if that's really the <laughs> and that's really the vibe for that crowd. I, I, I mean, hey, okay. when, when I was in Iowa in 2016, the music, I was like, you know, you'd be surprised. I, I spent a lot of time in Iowa. I don't know if Eminem's really the vibe, but like. I was from Detroit, but. I think Vivek accomplished what he wanted to. Got the headline. We're talking about, we're talking about yeah. him. And he is someone who, his strategy sort of in a way reminds me of Pete Buttigieg's strategy Absolutely. in 2020. Go everywhere. Mm -hmm. He, you know, before someone like Ron DeSantis, he was doing not only conservative outlets, but also a lot of mainstream, sometimes left-leaning outlets. That's benefited him big time. I definitely go back and forth whether he's Andrew Yang or Pete Buttigieg, because, <laughs> you know, if Trump is successful, is he going to get, you know, a treasury slot or whatever other cabinet position that he might be vying for, vice president? And he's also playing the Trump card correctly by saying, you know, I like Trump too, but if he's not your guy, I can slip in and I can be your guy, which his base is liking. I think the one line that he should have been rapping to is, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow this opportunity. It comes once in a lifetime. Ooh. Listen, I know my M&M, but I know, right? But I'm not quitting my day job. <laughs> All right. Well, News Nation is set to host a town hall uh, later this evening, the first presidential town hall, by the way, with Vivek Ramaswamy. Leland Vitter hosts live from Chicago tonight, a few hours from now, with live audiences in Chicago, Iowa, and New Hampshire. It all starts 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central, right here on News Nation. Meantime, the moderate Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota is making waves by continuing to say that he will encourage other members of his own party to run against President Biden. That is not Dean Phillips. Of course, that was Vivek Ramaswamy. In any event, Phillips is not ruling out a run for himself, but he is more focused on others potentially launching a bid against the sitting president. Uh, here, here's, here's the sound by real quick, and then we'll get the reaction on the other side. People want to turn the page. I think that's fair to say. As a Democrat, I adore Joe Biden. He saved this country. He can cement his legacy. My real call to action right now is not about me. 
the call to action is to ask the president to pass the torch. Chris, what's the congressman doing here? It's interesting whenever you hear someone say, ah, this isn't about me per se. Is it about him or is he just, um, you know, explaining and talking about what many Democrats all across this country are saying as well? Are you suggesting that personal ambition might play a role in the public utterances of politicians? Uh, Blake, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he does speak for a lot of Democrats. The, the concerns, when I talk to prominent Democrats across the country, the concern that they have about Joe Biden not being able to go to the distance is real, right? So you watch somebody like Gavin Newsom in California get close, right, to get in the on-deck circle in case something, in case the president is not able to run for re-election, that he could step up and get into that role. And you see a little of that jockeying out there. But at the very least, Democrats, given the age and sometimes very obvious infirmity of the incumbent, Democrats have to be thinking about what is an alternative they could put forward. And as you saw, uh, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is in hot water for his comments about supporting a federal abortion ban, which yep. uh, the, his campaign subsequently said that he, he didn't mean he didn't mean it when he said that. So it's not like there's somebody else for Democrats to go to. And Kamala Harris hasn't rebuilt her uh, reputation sufficiently to deal with that. So whatever Phillips, all of Phillips motivations are, he certainly is speaking for a big chunk of the Democratic Party that's concerned about Joe Biden. You knew this was coming. You knew this was coming, right? Like, we, we were going to get to this moment at some point, Michael. We did. I think a lot of Americans are asking who Dean Phillips is in this moment. Democrats are running with Joe But he's Biden. the messenger in this moment. To is, answer your question. Is he, though? He's, is he the messenger? Because he's talked about him wanting to run, and now he's saying he's not going to run, but maybe he'll run. Joe Biden will be the nominee for the Democratic Party. Kamala Harris will be the vice presidential nominee. Democrats understand that. And there's no one in this position right now who would be able to fill that slot. You know, Denise, we've, we've been seeing Republicans go after each other, as Chris yeah. was talking about. Yeah. As, the Repu- as a Republican, you got to sit back and say, I love go it. on, love it, you know, it. keep on I going. Mean, what can I'm I say? here all day. I absolutely love yeah. it. And it's one thing we're definitely going to agree on today. <laughs> Probably more. But I think most Americans would agree with what he said, right? I mean, if you look at the polls, they're saying that we don't want Joe Biden. I mean, that's how much clearer can you get? And I'm going to go back to what my old boss, Carl Rove, said at Aspen Ideas Festivals this, this summer. He said people are dying for a generational shift. And the party that figures it out will have the upper hand next year. We all need to really look inside ourselves and say, is this really what we want to be representing moving forward? All right. Uh, Chris Steyerwalt, have fun up there in Chicago. We'll uh, we'll get you back here on set here in D.C. soon. Chris, thank you. Appreciate it. Tune in. Great show. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Coming up, meantime, President Biden is facing backlash as deadly wildfires continue to burn in Hawaii. What the president said over the weekend as the death toll rises and what the Pentagon says the administration is doing now. Live to the Pentagon coming up as The Hill returns. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill spread throughout the weekend. Um, the Pentagon has been in touch. Uh, Secretary Austin has been in touch with the Hawaii delegation, reassuring them that whatever they need, they will get. Right now, we have 
approximately 250 Air and Army National Guard on the ground helping with rescue and recovery efforts. Um, in the past 48 hours, we had our Army Air, Army Air National Guard um, help deposit more than, I think there's over 189,000 gallons of water on areas that are still um, simmering with, with fires. So we are incredibly committed to this community. We have a big uh, military presence in Hawaii, as you probably know. And so we just want to make sure that the folks on the ground are getting what they need, not just from the department, but that we that they know that we're, we're really here for them and that we are uh, working it with the community and also the Hawaii um, public safety elements um, to make sure that we're, we're delivering for the residents. Yeah. You know, Sabrina, over the weekend, the commander in chief was asked about this. He was asked about his thoughts and comments on Hawaii, and he gave a two word response as he was vacationing at the beach. And that two-word response was no comment. Is that a mistake? Well, look, I'm the spokesperson for the Pentagon, but I can tell you as someone that has worked in this administration, that has worked uh, for the Biden administration, Joe Biden cares deeply about uh, communities that are impacted by fires, by whatever natural disaster might might uh, happen. Um, I think he certainly cares deeply about Hawaii, and that's why he is given his support to the community and certainly allowing the department to do its job to make sure that we're re- reaching residents and reaching the community where they are and helping with those uh, search and rescue teams. And that, that's what really the department is focused on in coordination with FEMA. And that's what we're going to continue to do for as long as we are asked. You know, Sabrina, um, there was the, the, the administration has asked Congress uh, for additional funding, supplemental funding, $13 billion in emergency defense aid to Ukraine. $12 billion to replenish U.S. federal disaster funds. I think some might look at that number and say, wait a minute, more money to Ukraine than staying at home when we have this going on. What would you tell them? Well, look, we are incredibly grateful for the American people's support, for our enduring efforts in Ukraine, um, and for the work that we continue to do as we stand alongside the Ukrainian people in their fight against Russia. I think what's important to remember here, Blake, is a sovereign nation invaded its sovereign neighbor, um, upsetting not only the international rule of law, but... Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, under, I understand mm-hmm. it. And we've been covering this for, yeah. for 18 months, Sabrina. I guess what I'm getting at right. is when you talk about aid that's going out the door and you got images like we have on our, on our screen, I think it's fair to ask. Some people might say, wait a minute, why are we sending more money to Ukraine right now than to Maui? Well, of course, I think the the supplemental aid package will go through the Congress, and that's something that will be continually debated there. Um, we're not going to get into more specifics other than we are aware and, and very uh, confident that the Congress will re-up our supply and our aid for Ukraine as we continue to support them in their fight. But of course, that aid, of course, should also go towards natural disasters and helping the community in Hawaii. And that's exactly what that aid will do, whether it's Hawaii or another community that's impacted by a natural disaster. Um, but again, I All can right. only speak on behalf of the Pentagon and, and what we do here and what we do with that aid. And the president yeah. has said we're with Ukraine for as long as it takes. And so we're, we're committed to that. Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh, thank you for the time. Hope you come on back. Appreciate it. Thanks, um, Mike. This, Alex, you were in the White House press briefing earlier today. This was 
the topic of conversation, your takeaway from being inside the room today was? That's right. So the big question is always, when's the president going? You know, when is, does he do the flyover on the helicopters to look at the devastation? And there's been no update whatsoever. So um, Karine Jean-Pierre was pressed on that and basically said he, he'll speak about this. We haven't heard him talk, you know, as a standalone yeah. speech on this either. Um, he'll speak about this. There was no update on when he'll go. This, by the way, 96 people dead, deadliest wildfire in over a decade, right. in over Century. a century. Century, yeah. rather. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this it's horrible. Yeah. It's awful when you talk to people involved um, and we haven't haven't heard much. No, disasters like these cannot make a presidency. But as we've seen with both Bushes, any national natural disaster like this can destroy a president. Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Yeah, and exactly. We're not comparing the two. But exactly. I mean, you know, I mean all it you've got to be more self-aware as a president. I mean, just to say no comment and have nothing, nothing even sympathy to express for someone, for the families that have been lost in your own country, it's appalling. What I will say is the behind-the-scenes work is what really matters. Mm-hmm. They did the declaration of emergency and the declaration of crisis immediately so that FEMA could get working, so that they could start getting aid there. And that's the part that matters. With missteps about communication, I think, you know, it, it matters on the media to the TV, but the people on the ground, they really need to make sure that they're getting the help but, that they need from the But White we House. are in the middle of a presidential election. Absolutely. And people, what you say... But this isn't political. Uh, this, But it absolutely is when you don't address the pain and the hurt of the people of your, that are, you're asking to support. You. And, and so I think I understand what you're saying, and I agree that that is important, but I think just as important, if not more so emotionally, for the people who are suffering is to know that their president, to quote one of yours, feels their pain. Absolutely. And I will say President Biden has been very good about making sure that people feel his emotion, his just connection. And in this moment, I think he could probably do a better job. Yeah. And I think we'll see more from the White House moving forward. I was talking to someone I know who is from Lahaina. Um, her parents' house, gone. Uncle's house, That's gone. Incredible said basically everyone she's talked to, Um, and again, 96 people dead, hundreds more still unaccounted for. If you would like to help with the recovery efforts in Hawaii, there are uh, several ways you can do so. First off, of course, you can call the Red Cross hotline, the number right now on your screen. We've also set up a link uh, to to help out. It is at newsnationnow.com slash help. You can head there as well. Well, coming up, the White House, censorship and ivermectin. The lawsuit over whether the government overstepped its boundaries when it came to COVID-19. And the debate there when the Hill returns. All right, welcome back to the Hill. There are still lingering questions about the U.S. government's involvement in treatments for COVID-19. Three doctors have now sued the FDA over its public information campaign against taking the drug ivermectin to treat COVID. Now, that case was initially dismissed, but now those doctors are waiting to see if a circuit court will revive the lawsuit. Those doctors prescribed ivermectin to treat thousands of COVID patients, but the FDA launched an awareness campaign after reports of people getting sick, in some cases dying, from taking large doses of the drug. Ivermectin is typically used to treat parasites in livestock. Joining us now to discuss is Robbie Suave, co-host of Rising on the Hill and senior editor at Reason. Robbie, good to talk to you again. Um, so this lawsuit initially thrown out, the doctors are trying to revive it. But, but I guess at the core here is, did the FDA go too far? Well, I certainly think their public advocacy advocacy campaign uh, about ivermectin, though well-intentioned, I mean, it did go further, honestly, than what uh, than what the science calls for. Ivermectin is 
a safe drug. Humans actually can take it for a variety of parasitic infections. Um, I've looked at the studies for ivermectin and COVID, and I'm you know not at all persuaded that it does much good for you if you have COVID. But it is it's not it's not poisonous. It is authorized for humans to take. So the the plaintiffs are saying, given that this is a drug humans can take, and the FDA was asserting that you know you got to be a horse to take it. Did, were they unfairly yeah. stigmatized, and did they suffer consequences out of that actually wrongful um, declaration by the FDA? August 21st, 2021, at 7 in the morning, here was the tweet that the FDA sent out. Quote, you are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all. Stop it. <laughs> um, at the time, that was the argument. But it, it's not like they're going after the medicine, Robbie, right? They're going after whether or not the FDA sort of crossed the right. bounds by by pushing stuff like that out there and i guess it goes back to the real concerns that some now have about government doctors and government experts and everything that was said and everything that happened during covid absolutely you know the the government the health experts the consensus um they they got some things right over the pandemic don't get me wrong but they also put their thumbs on a lot of discussions and debates that we ought to have been having about where covid came from in the first place the lab leak theory um just how good the uh, vaccines actually performed there was you know widespread efforts by government health scientists to encourage social media to censor conversations about mandates and mass and all sorts of things that there is there is an open debate about how well these things work and we should be allowed to have that debate and i think this is another example of them going too far and trying to stigmatize where there was legitimate question or there should have allowed for experimentation it's safe if you take it in safe doses if doctors want to try that out with people you know it should be your choice and then we that's how we find out if it works or not our friend here on the hill the editor-in-chief of the hill bob cusack interviewing dr anthony fauci earlier this summer about Lessons uh, that we learned from missteps during COVID. Watch. So we thought we were really very well prepared. The world, not just blaming the United States at all, but the world thought that we were really very well prepared from a public health standpoint. And we weren't. This was a very formidable virus that kept on fooling us. Look, I guess in one sense, right, we now know a lot. We've learned a lot, but there's still a pretty big mistrust when you hear comments like that from from Dr. Anthony Fauci. Is there? Yeah, not? look, I've been a fan of, of Dr. Fauci. I do have to say that's a little bit troubling because the Obama administration on its way out the door said that one of the biggest crises that we would deal with would be something like a covid situation where there is a mass illness across the world. One of the things I think we t- should take away from COVID is the politicization of medicine, like you were talking about. Whether it was on the right or the left, there was a lot of misinformation given. I think more so, obviously, in terms of Donald Trump. But Democrats do have some some things that they need to learn from this about communication. And I think we have learned that now moving forward. Well, it's impossible to separate politics from medical conversations because big pharma's influence is something that both sides, people on both sides of the aisle agree with and are appalled by. And yet we have no answer for them. And so I think the difference between the right and the left's response on this issue is that the right was for freedom, the freedom to choose how you treat your body and those you love. And I think that that's so fundamental to our sense as Americans of being able to take care of ourselves that you feel like this strong response. Is a, this is a clapback against the FDA that, that was needed. <laughs> Robbie, how does this end? We can have that conversation. <laughs> hmm? What's that? How does this end? Uh, I mean, it, it ends ultimately with people making their own choices. I, I absolutely agree with that. We have to, you can advise people on what to do, what we think the science is. But, you know, Dr. Fauci, I think, was, was very much on the side of um, 
telling you, you this is, you know, we've all agreed you have to do it this way. And then people end up having a lot of questions about where COVID came from in the first place. Barack Obama, President Obama, shut down the gain of function research that Fauci then continued to do anyway, which a lot of scientists think might have had something to do with where COVID came from. All right, Robbie Suave, uh, host of Rising. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll get you, get you back on soon. Well, coming up, a bold robbery at a Nordstrom's in California. Did you see this? And the unusual safety warning given to employees at a federal building in California. So you've got this, right? Look at this video. We'll talk about it. But then there's also this warning. Don't go into that building for work. And guess who the building is named after? That's coming up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Please call or go online right now to give. If operators are busy, please wait patiently or go to lunchrunners.org right away. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. News Nation tonight, Vivek Ramaswamy fighting to become the Republican nominee for president. Facing your questions for the first time live in a national cable exclusive. The News Nation Town Hall, Vivek Ramaswamy. Tonight at 9, 8 central on News Nation. All right, welcome back. Crime is making headlines across the country right now. You're looking at this. You've probably seen this video already. Uh, this was from a Nordstrom's uh, department store in Los Angeles. A flash mob estimated somewhere between 20 to 50 people, a few dozen, robs up to $100,000 in store merchandise. This happened in broad daylight. You could see it. They just go on in, they're masked, grab the stuff, get on out. Meantime, in San Francisco, some federal employees are being asked to work from home indefinitely. The recommendation is due to safety concerns over rampant crime outside the Nancy Pelosi Federal Building. It's become so bad that the area outside the building is reportedly littered with drug dealers and users. The Nancy Pelosi Federal Building, and you're told not to go to work. Is this going to be part of the legacy? How bad is this for Democrats, Julia? Well, We've seen crime in yeah. big cities. They're mostly rumble. Well, at least in the short term, this is a ready-made ad for Republicans to use against Democrats. We know that Republicans, going back to the 2021 off-year cycle, have really been trying to ding Democrats on crime. And we're right. seeing it in the 2024 presidential race when Ron DeSantis went to meet with donors in California a number of months back. He took the opportunity to um, you know, shot a video. Yeah, shot some yeah. videos talking about the rampant crime he said he saw on the street. So this does not look good for Democrats. It's not good optics right now, and you can expect to see Republicans use it. And I think in 2024, if Republicans lean more into crime and less into the abortion debate, that wasn't a winning issue for them in the midterms, then this will be the winning issue for them. And we'll see where the economy goes of whether that's a winning issue for them or not. But I think crime could be a really big one. Denise, you're from there. I am. Before we get into your thoughts, $350,000 a year, according to a report from the San Francisco Chronicle, that a successful, I don't know what successful means, I guess it's kind of an oxymoron, successful Bay Area drug dealer can make 
in San Francisco. I wonder where they got those stats. Yeah, what drug dealer yeah. gave up that information? Exactly. Look, I, unlike most of Americans, I am a hometown honey. Like, I am born and raised Bay Area. I grew up going to the city, to Chinatown. My mother's Chinese. And she won't even go to Chinatown anymore to get our favorite dim sum because she's terrified of the anti-Asian American hatred. And nothing has been done. And this is what blows my mind. I don't understand how progressives cannot do not link their policies with realities. When you have a sanctuary state and a sanctuary city allowing people to come in unfettered over our border to bring fentanyl in, that's how it comes, is over our border, and all of a sudden you've got a fentanyl crisis? Shocker. Like, it's just so obvious. But that's not the only issue with San Francisco. Those issues have ramifications that go out into the economy, and the fewer people that live there, the higher the tax burden that's already very high on all the people that stay. And so when you see them spending money on things like Narcan dispensers and all these other services, syringe dispensers, you wonder why we're having an issue in San Francisco. It's pretty obvious if you just connect the dots. Well, let me push back a little bit on that, because I think mental health is also something we need to address. And Republicans have been really adamant about not having mental health funding, including in the expansion of medical services under universal health care. Oh. Okay. Which, and when you talk about Narcan, though, I mean, Narcan is something that saves you. millions of lives in Look, terms of op- the opioid crisis. It's not, the mental health crisis is not the issue. It's the major issue with San Francisco right now. It's one with, of the contributing with drugs factors. It is, though. Yes, but then how, what are the policies? Republicans don't Free run, but Republicans don't run California or which San Francisco. Is, which is going to be a problem for Gavin Newsom <laughs> in this debate against Ron DeSantis. All right. Well, Elizabeth Vargas reports is just minutes away tonight. She'll speak with the former New York City Police Commissioner Bill Bratton about whether it's time to bring back asylums for the mentally ill. You can catch that interview six o'clock Eastern, eight minutes from now, right here on News Nation. And up next, before we go on this Monday, stories that caught our eye over the weekend, including Dwayne Wade uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, the third greatest shooting guard of all time for my money. But what else did he say? And it had nothing to do with sports, rather politics. That's part of what caught our eye. Come back. I'm Vivek Ramaswamy, and I look forward to taking your questions live. Tonight, 9, 8 central, only on News Nation. News for all America. So before we say goodbye, here are some stories from over the weekend that caught our eye. Julia? Yeah, so some outlets like the New York Times and NPR wrote about how there's three women literally carrying the economy on their backs right now. That's <laughs> Taylor Swift, Beyonce, and Barbie. Huh. Um, forget hot girl summer. It's billion girl summer now. <laughs> Barbie, a bil- Barbie a billion in sales. Taylor Swift, I think, a, a billion in And Beyonce, then Beyonce sure projected probably, to hit that. Yeah, somewhere yes. like that. All right, mm-hmm. Denise? I love that, by the way. <laughs> um, I am fascinated by the rise of AI's use in campaigns. And what I think is particularly ironic is that the one that was reported on this weekend was one called Quiller, and it was founded by a Democratic consultant who used to work for a consulting firm called Authentic Campaigns. So, yeah, I'm really interested in seeing how this tech tool is used in the future. And I think, like tofu, it's just going to take on... It's kind of neutral. It just takes on the flavor of whatever it's immersed in. Saw a headline in the Wall Street Journal today about a $900,000 AI job that was posted. Michael? Yeah. Uh, The Rolling Sea Fun Pack. Uh, The former political director of the CBC is starting uh, a pack which is going to help the D-Trip raise up uh, African-American candidates. Uh, Democrats need five seats to flip to win the Democratic majority. And this is going to be a big backer for it. The D-trip is? Uh, Democratic Congressional Campaign There Committee. we go, there we go, there we go. Um, 
<laughs> little economy news. We are just weeks away from the United Auto Workers contracts yeah. expiring. Mm-hmm. The president today called for them and the big three to have a fair agreement. But one interesting layer about all of this is the UAE has not yet endorsed President Biden. So depending huh. on how this plays out, they're not happy with the electric vehicle boost that he's been and he calls himself into. the most pro-union mm-hmm. president of, of all time. Uh, mine, my favorite shooting guard ever from Miami, as you might know, Dwayne Wade inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame over the weekend. But it's not not comments that he made there. Rather, there was an interview in the New York Times.